Kristen Crow. And I'm Kristen Caridio. And this is Must Contain, the podcast from Atumos where we help explain the how of marketing, although we can't always explain the why. Join us every two weeks as we break down marketing and corporate topics and discuss what they really mean. And if you enjoy this podcast, please remember to like, follow, or subscribe in all your favorite podcast platforms. And we're back with episode six of Must Contain. Happy New Year. And to you as well, Kristen. New year, new episodes. That's right. And this year, now that we've worked out all the kinks of recording and doing all the podcast things. Have we? I mean, I have. I'd say they're pretty good. But anyway, we are definitely podcasting experts. And we'd love to open up our guest roster beyond just our friends and family and all the people that we know. So if you have a marketing or corporate buzzword that you can help break down and help our audience understand, We'd love to hear from you. Or a buzzword that you have no idea what it means and you're willing to admit it on a podcast and you want us to help you figure it out uh, and figure out if it's something you should spend your budget on in 2022 or skip and just make fun of at happy hour with your coworkers. We have an open call for guests. Pitch us the buzzword you want to break down. We'll link the form in our show notes and on atumos.com slash must dash contain and let us know what you think. We'll hopefully have you on a future episode. And that's also where you can find all of our previous episodes, uh, as well as transcripts of the episodes. All right. Without further ado, we are here to actually talk to a guest. With us today is our very own Keith Nyberg, Senior Marketing Technology Consultant here at Atumos. And he's here to talk about compliance. That's our buzzword for this week, compliance. In the marketing GDPR right to be forgotten sense, we can't help you with your taxes. Hello, Keith. Hi Kristen. Hi Kristen. It's a pleasure to be here with both of you today. Um, just to give a quick introduction of myself, uh, as Kristen mentioned, I'm a senior marketing technology consultant with Atumos. Been at the company for three years now. Uh, prior to that, I spent five years at Sugar CRM, uh, running all of our Martech stack internally. Um, but yeah, I'm also the co-leader of the San Diego Marketo User Group. I'm a Marketo Certified Solutions Architect, uh, multiple-time MCE certified. And uh, yeah, active in the communities as well. So really excited to be here and, and talk shop with you both today. Awesome. You're also uh, Atumos's resident uh, compliance expert. So that is great. So our first question, I mean, compliance isn't really a buzzword. Uh, it's something marketers kind of have to do. And it's something that might scare them a little bit. So we're cheating on our own concept here. But I do think we see some pretty interesting interpretations of the various privacy and compliance laws here in Mopsland. I'm sure most of our listeners can identify with that. And we're hoping that we can spend this time together, Keith, discussing what the right way is to start approaching cleaning up your whole email marketing, privacy legislation, compliance situation. So I'm going to start with the question that we usually start with, which is what does compliance mean? 
I think from a marketing operations perspective, most marketing teams will always view compliance or privacy compliance as, well, how do we capture consent for marketing, right? What, where, where and how do we capture that opt-in? Um, and then second to that, how do we enforce compliance within our instance? Meaning if we have somebody located in a region where we need opt-in and we don't capture that, what are we doing systematically to ensure that we're not gonna be sending them commercial electronic messages, right? Um, but compliance is a broader topic than just those two things. MOPS typically owns those, and that's why we focus so much time on both of those interactions. Um, but compliance is also the process of capturing and storing data, right? It's what, what legal language do we have on our forms to ensure that we're capturing the right consent to store data in our instance. Um, there's also some legislation out in the world that gives prospects or any, any person the right to understand what data we have stored on their behalf. Um, there are also processes that require us to allow a user to request the deletion of any stored data that we have um, for them. And so while compliance really is specific for marketing to email and how are we allowed to email, um, it really touches the entire org of where are we capturing our data? What consent do we have for that data? What consent do we have to use that data other places? Um, and what things do we need to enable for users to ensure that we can actively manage compliance uh, based on the location that they're in? We talked a little bit about managing compliance and location, and I think a lot of people often immediately go to the legislation, the acronyms that are associated with compliance, GDPR, CASEL, CAN-SPAM. Um, and often when you think about legislation, you think of legality, which doesn't really have a lot to do with operations in that sense. But as MOPS professionals, we all know it does have a big impact on operations. So how does the various uh, geographic legislation impact MOPS teams and just marketing professionals in general? Yeah, I think uh, there's tons of laws, right? There's 250 countries in the world and each of them start to define their own legislation. There's some friendly groups of countries like the EU that define policies that span all of the countries within that region. Uh, but then there are still nuances to that, uh, like the United Kingdom has their own legislation a little bit separate from Germany that's part of the EU that has their own legislation. So. Um, in terms of MOPS and, and privacy compliance practices, we at Atumos abide by a process-based approach to legislation, um, which means that while there's tons of different laws and names for buzzwords for laws, there are typically only four operational processes any company is going to enable uh, to manage the multiple uh, types of legislation that exist around the world. Um, those types of legislation, uh, where we call them GDPR Castle, translate into operational processes um, that we define as double opt-in, which is we need to capture the initial explicit opt-in, and then after we need to send a secondary email to reconfirm that opt-in, right, double opt-in. There is opt-in, which means we require an opt-in, and we have to have that, otherwise we don't have the ability to market to somebody. There is opt-in with implied consent, which means we do need opt-in. We don't have to send a double opt-in email, but there are some use cases where we may not have captured that explicit consent, but still have the ability to market to somebody based on an existing business relationship. So people like customers, we may have the implied consent to market to them because they're using our product, right? Um, people who re request contact on our website, they may be located in a region where we need that explicit opt-in and we don't have it, but we have the ability to follow up for a temporary period of time to, to follow up. Um, so again, we have double opt-in, opt-in, opt-in with implied consent. And finally, we have opt-out. Um, those located in the United States are very familiar with this law. It is essentially, we don't need to capture any opt-in. We don't need to ask you for your consent. We assume the ability to market to you until you express the desire to not be contacted and you opt out and any records that fall into that process are, fall into the opt out process. All of those are related to kind of the unsubscribe and email process, but there's a component to these legislations that are about how data is captured and how we're handling that data. 
How is MOPS typically involved in that? And, you know, what processes do you see to help govern uh, the components of, of compliance that relate to the, the data capture? Yeah. Um, almost every company in the world is going to have two assets on their website that speak to compliance. The first one being their privacy policy, which is a user's right and their ability to remain private and what implications or safeguards the company has in place to enable that for a user. Um, there's also the terms of use or terms of service, which says by submitting this form, you know, you're agreeing to us using your data in these ways, right? Um, almost every org is going to have both of those items. Um, and while we as MOPS don't really own those documents and we don't own the language that lives on the forms, we typically actually own those forms, which is why we need to work with legal to figure out what is a bare disclaimer that is going to go on every single form in our instance that's going to safeguard the capture of our data regardless of whether people are opting in or not, right? Um, and again, that's typically by submitting this form, I'm agreeing to the privacy policy in terms of use as defined by company A, right? Um, so that's just a blanket thing that I see used very commonly, and that's going to safeguard how we capture data and making sure that when we get it, we're okay to use it in the ways that we've defined, right? Um, separate to that, uh, there's the processes related to like uh, data storage and data deletion. Those are things that we in MOPS typically get involved with because we're going to own the form on the front end where people are requesting those activities. But we ourselves in MOPS are not going to be able to actually action all of those items ourselves. Um, and the reason being is that Marketo or most marketing automation platforms don't have the ability to write or, or access other objects outside of leads and contacts, right? Um, so any account data that may have a user's uh, information listed in it. That's stuff that we don't have the ability to delete. Any tasks associated with the contact, those are things that we don't have the ability to delete. Opportunity data, things that we don't have the ability to delete. Um, and so that's why we get involved. We can create the form, we can create an alert, or we can create a task in the system that says, hey, somebody on the revenue ops team, let's go in and reconcile this data, or let's pull this data for the user. Um, but we don't have the ability to actually action that request all on our own, um, which is why it's really like we're lighting a match for the process and initiating it, but we're not going to be able to finish the entire process ourselves. Um, so yeah, MARPS gets involved with uh, making sure that we're consistent across our forms, making sure that we're using that language everywhere that it's needed, making sure that we're enabling the processes that need to be supported, the capture of opt-in, um, enabling the unsubscribe behind the scenes. Um, but at the end of the day, we don't really own the documents that speak to those or the language. Um, we just need to make sure that we're doing what, what the legal team is asking of us. Now that's all lawyer stuff, the language. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, Keith, so we've got a lot of legal speak. We've talked a lot about like the way the compliance is managed and the different components of it. And you talked about the four processes that really impact MOPS. So how have you seen some of your clients manage those four processes in order to adhere to the legislative requirements in the various geographies? Yeah. Um, I oftentimes see orgs define what the processes are they want to support. You know, we mentioned four, your company may choose to only support three of those processes or two of those processes. So determine what processes you're going to support. And then from there, uh, I most commonly see companies go to the list of all countries in the globe and start to kind of categorize or sort those countries into the processes that they're planning on supporting. Um, I think that that's a really critical first starting point for this project because it's going to tell you what percentage of your database falls into process A versus process B versus process C. Um, there are multiple ways that companies can manage how they're sorting records into groups, right? We at Atumos typically like to have one smart list in our instance that's going to say this is the criteria that qualifies somebody for this process. Um, and then in the processing through the program, we actually set a field on the, the person itself that's called uh, processing group, where we actually hard stamp the processing group that they qualify for 
in compliance. That way, when we're auditing, we can easily determine which groups that they were sorted into um, and how they were managed. I think there's also nuances with uh, how you define a region. A lot of companies are going to have to pick fields uh, that specify a location. Keep in mind, we have things like country, we have things like inferred country, we have things like account or billing country, right? Um, and every country's going to, or every company's going to have to define what is the order of operations for which fields you want to acknowledge first or second or all. Um, a good example of that is I commonly like to implement processes to sort into groups using country is these countries or the country is empty and the inferred is these values, right? Because then we're prioritizing the country value and only if the country value is empty are we going to utilize inferred. Um, Germany is a really great example where some GDPR nomenclature covers records that are located in Germany, even if they're not residents of Germany, which means somebody could fill a form being located in Germany, even though they specify that they're located in the United States, and your company may choose to still want to action them with a double opt-in. Um, so for that specific uh, processing group, oftentimes I see the country is Germany or the inferred country is Germany, um, which means that you're going to safeguard both of those items, even if somebody says they're not in Germany, if we can tell by IP that they are, we may take that, that action. Uh, but again, every uh, company is going to define kind of the fields they want to use to sort and the prioritization of those fields relative to each other um, as they make their decision for how they're sorting records into those groups. Doing a good old CYA on, on yeah. all of those, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, and I think the the tough and the sometimes scary part about these legislations is we run into clients that, for example, will say, well, I'm not marketing in Europe. And like the fact of the matter is that doesn't matter if a European stumbles into your system you know, you're liable. And the same thing with somebody happens to be in Germany that day, you know, they're accessing your stuff from Germany. And so you need to make sure that that you're covered, you know, which yeah. I think uh, kind of leads into, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of nuance to a lot of the choices you're making, which countries sort into which of these groups based on what legislation governs them. Um, where do legal teams typically get involved with this process? And, and, what decisions can the marketing ops team make themselves? Yeah, um, I always remind any marketing operations users that I'm working with anytime a compliance project kicks off for me with, with a client or anytime I'm chatting about it uh, just socially, uh, we are not a legal team. And I think that's yep. the most important thing to remember in, in our MOPS role is that it is not up to us to define how the company wants to manage their risk um, related to compliance, um, because at the end of the day, risk is really what we're managing here. And some companies are going to take a more risky approach to help drive their business. And some are going to take a very conservative approach, right? I've had clients on either end of the spectrum that are very risk averse or very risk uh, happy, right? They, they don't care about, about the risk at all. Where I see MOPS in helping with that process is every MOPS team member should have documentation on this is our current compliance process, right? These are how we are managing people based on the location that they are in. This is the field that we're using to sort people into those different processes um, and being able to provide that to legal and say, this is where we're doing, this is what we're doing right now just to get validation. Doesn't need to, doesn't need to be right. Doesn't need to mean that it's wrong. It just means that we need to have the ability to present that information to legal so that they can review it and determine whether they're comfortable with it or not. Um, one of the things when we were talking about processing groups earlier that we didn't kind of cover is that there's these four processing groups and I mentioned country location. There could be a bunch of records that exist in your instance that you have no location information for, right? And that's typically a category when we're sorting records into these processing groups. Your legal team is going to have to make a distinguishment of if we don't know where people are, what of those four processes that we mentioned do we want to apply to records, right? Um, because maybe they don't care about the risk and they say, we're going to treat everybody like opt out. If we don't know where they are, we're going to treat them like they're from the United States, right? 
Um, that would be a very risk-averse approach, or sorry, yeah, a very risky approach in my opinion. Um, the, the other end of the spectrum would be um, we always want to to safeguard our instance. And so if we don't know where somebody's located, we're just gonna assume they're located in Germany, right? And you can kind of pick which tier of safeguarding you wanna, wanna apply, um, but that's another audience that we need to have a discussion with legal about. Crazy as it sounds, compliance is really a lot about how risky you wanna be and what are the, you know, what are the things you're willing to test and, and what are the things you're not. Um, and related to that, you know, what are the best practices to show consent for marketing has been captured? You know, what fields have you seen commonly used for this? You know, in even though there are lots of ways people could be doing it, either sides of the risky spectrum, what are some of the commonalities across the the management of that information? Yeah, that's a, it's a really great question. And it definitely uh, deviates a lot from my experience and what I've seen. I think um, starting at the, the very top of what's most relevant in terms of managing these practices, um, we have to have an opt-in type field, right? Um, most companies are going to serve that up as Boolean, meaning it's a true false type field. And it's either, yes, we have that opt-in or no, we do not. Um, I have seen companies implement this as a string type field where they have, yes, they have no, and then they have empty for records that they're unsure about. Um, I typically don't like that approach because you're going to always end up coming back to, well, do we have it or not? Right. Um, and so really I, my preference is to serve the opt-in as a Boolean. You can put it on your forms as a checkbox. You can put it on your forms as a select type field with yes or no that's required. Um, there's options there, but in terms of how it's managed in the database, a single opt-in field that captures the user's consent should be required um, to, to enable any of the processes that we're going to manage in compliance. Um, speaking to that field, though, um, we want to make sure that that field is re reserved only for the end user. So similar to how we try not to touch unsubscribe um, other than when a user wants to append it, opt-in should be the same. And if somebody's created in our instance that hasn't opted in, we operationally should never be setting that explicit opt-in to true because it should be our source of truth field for whether that person has taken that action or not. Um, you're going to remember that we talked about opt-out as a category and we talked about opt-in with implied consent, right? Castle in Canada, where we may have an existing customer that's created in our instance. Um, we have an existing business relationship with them and we never captured opt-in. We aren't going to unsubscribe them because we have the ability to market to them. But that's another perfect example where we are not going to set explicit opt-in based on an implied business consent use case. We're just not going to unsubscribe them. So that's the unsubscribe or sorry, the opt-in field, which is going to be critical in any privacy compliance program. Uh, to counter that, uh, I was just talking about an unsubscribe field, right? Every marketing automation platform is going to have some variation of do not email or unsubscribe. Uh, that we want to manage in the system. Marketo is great in the sense that we have the ability to set that field and operationally we can send emails, but everything else that's non-operational is going to be restricted, meaning only things that people request they're going to have fulfilled. Um, so unsubscribe is critical in enforcing consent and enforcing our opt-in processes because there are going to be situations where we don't capture an explicit opt-in and the way we safeguard our records is by setting unsubscribe to true, right? Um, outside of that, I think there's value in us knowing when we're setting unsubscribe to true for our purposes for compliance versus when the end user has done it themselves. And so again, unsubscribe is a field that should be reserved for the end user. So when we set it operationally, it's important to have an unsubscribe reason field, in my opinion, where you're setting privacy compliance as the reason you are unsubscribing the record, right? So you have an opt-in and then you have an unsubscribe field and both of those should kind of run not in parallel. They're not gonna be one-to-one, -one, um, but really opt-in is where we're capturing did we get consent versus unsubscribe is okay, we're gonna enforce consent with a reason, right? Um, outside of that, some fields that I think are, are best in class or best practice to have are like a processing group, which I mentioned earlier, right? We have a field for processing group where we stamp the group that the record qualified for in terms of processing. 
We also have a field that's called consent status that we typically like to use, which is a friendly label for what form of consent do we have, right? And there's explicit consent opt-in, there's explicit consent double opted in, maybe somebody's pending double opt-in, right? Maybe somebody has no consent because they haven't opted in. Um, maybe somebody has implied consent by their region or implied consent because they're a customer. Um, but these are all campaigns that you can manage in your program, um, local to the category that you're managing them in, um, be it opt-in, be it double opt-in. Um, and it's important, in my opinion, to set those as well, just so that you can see at a friendly label, well, this is the type of consent I have, or I've captured initial consent, I'm waiting for the secondary consent and the status is pending double opt-in. Now, this next field is going to be one that's probably debated, and maybe some people are going to yell at me when they hear this podcast, but I see all the time people capturing an explicit opt-in date, right? It's like a date field or a date time field, and whenever that Boolean gets set to true on explicit opt-in, they want to go in and operationally set a static date time field on the person record. Well, this approach isn't bad, um, I just want to call out that there's multiple journeys and lifetimes and conversations that we have with prospects, which means that having a single date field is never going to be comprehensive of an entire journey, right? I routinely see records that have unsubscribed in 2016, they've come and opted back in in 2017, and then they've unsubscribed again in 2018. Um, and you can think about from a, a data management perspective, if you get an inquiry from a legal guidance that says this person's suing us, we emailed them between these dates, did we have opt-in or not? Um, and we have processes in place that null that date of consent, you know, we start to lose visibility into that, right? And if we only had consent for a certain period of time, our single date field is never going to be able to articulate that to us. It's either going to be empty or it's going to show the earliest date, which isn't very valid. Um, so it's my preference to have a consent history field that's a text field. And every time a consent status changes or every time we capture or gain or lose consent um, to to concatenate and put a system date time in there with the form of consent that we have and then details on where we captured it. And that's gonna be a value that just keeps getting concatenated over time, which will be a running history of all the consent loss and gains that we've had for a record. So when legal comes to us and says, hey, what went on? We can go to one source of truth field and say, well, on this date we captured consent, we emailed them for six months and then they unsubscribed and we lost consent, right? Um, so I think that that's a really helpful field to have. What you're saying kind of boils down to just making sure it's again, all of this is about CYA, right? Like just making sure in the event that you need to pull that data later, it's there and it's available. This is the kind of project setting up these processes is kind of one of those rare instances, I think, where marketing operations may be sort of misaligned with what marketing wants because marketing operations has to has to enact what legal wants to do, right? So you know, marketing's not going to like it if legal wants to treat everybody like they live in Germany if we don't know where they live. But if that's what legal says, you know, marketing operations, the onus is on us to do it, it, you know. Make it happen. Exactly. Um, and I was just check checking through some of my notes, but um, the only other field that I forgot to mention is sometimes there is value in having a consent expiration date field. Um, as I mentioned, there are some implied consent processes like customers um, or like partners or like inquiries that you may want to set a time frame to, meaning uh, Castle, as an example, will give us typically 12 months to market to customers once they've churned. 12 months, we need to, to reconcile the record and unsubscribe them at that time. So having a consent expiration date is a really easy way to implement that, where you can put the system date in there and future, future date stamp for when we're going to lose consent. Um, you can also do that for inquiries like 30 days or something like that, where we're going to have the ability to market to 30 days. And then in 30 days, we need to unsubscribe the record. Um, so it's the only other field that I was thinking of. We can get back to the regularly scheduled programming. So we don't have any more regularly scheduled programming, Keith, because I think we've given people more than enough information to chew on. And I want to mention 
very quickly that we'll have some additional resources in the show notes. So if you're looking for more information around compliance, the implementation of compliance uh, from a MOPS perspective, you can view those resources in the show notes. Thank you, Keith, for that. And thank you for your time. And if you have ignored the last several minutes of content or you just saw what time to skip to to get the three most important things, welcome. Here they are. Uh, here are the three things you really need to know about privacy compliance in marketing. If you have learned nothing else, know these things. One, compliance for marketing and marketing operations is a concept that includes consent to marketing, handling of data within marketing tools, safeguarding that data, and making it clear what happens to that data once it's been captured. Two, there are four different processes that generally need to be handled across the different pieces of legislation from an email marketing perspective. And grouping into these four processes can help you make sense of all the different legislation. First, double opt-in. Second, opt-in. Third, opt-in with implied consent. And fourth, opt-out. Third, if you don't know what's happening from a compliance standpoint when you join a new organization, go find out. It seems scary because there are a lot of acronyms, and it's the law, but breaking it into process groups can help you understand how to meet the needs of the business, maintain your marketable audience, and not incur a huge fine. And that's must contain compliance. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another great MOPS topic. And until then, remember, never ever assume your email looks good in Outlook. Test it. This episode was produced by Kristen Crow, Kristen Caridio, Ali Stoltzfus, and Lindsay Walter. It was edited by Kristen Crow. Theme music by Rusty Hall. Special thanks to Keith Nyberg. And that's Must Contain. I'm Kristen Crow, and we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>